Okay, we are live. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On today's show, I have a very special guest. His name is Kevin Sullivan. He's probably the foremost Ted Bundy expert in the world, so I'm delighted to have him. He's just published a new book this year in 2021. The title of it is The Enigma of Ted Bundy, The Questions and Controversies Surrounding America's Most Infamous Serial Killer. And Mr. Sullivan's writing career goes back to his first book that he wrote back in 95, 96 about uh, George Custer titled Shattering the Myth, Signposts on Custer's Road to Disaster. And then he followed up with a, a larger biography in 2013 titled Custer's Road to Disaster, The Path to, to Little Bighorn. He's also writ written other true crime books that are outside of the Ted Bundy realm. One is titled Death of a Cheerleader, Notorious USA, published in 2014. Also, the Amish or Amish Schoolhouse Murders, also published in 2014. And then he has all of his Ted Bundy. Uh, there's some other ones here, too. Unnatural Causes, 2014, with Greg Olson. Angel of Death, 2014, with Greg Olson. And then his Bundy. Oh, also, Richard Chase Murders, 2014. And then the Bundy Murders, A Comprehensive History, 2009. Kentucky Bloodbath, 10 Bizarre Tales of Murder from the Bluegrass State, 2015. The Trail of Ted Bundy, Digging Up the Untold Stories 2016. The Bundy Secrets, Hidden Files on America's Worst Serial Killer 2017. Ted Bundy's Murderous Mysteries, The Many Victims of America's Most Infamous Serial Killer 2019. Then in 2020, The Bundy Murders, A Comprehensive History, Second Edition. Then an encyclopedia titled The Encyclopedia of the Ted Bundy Murders 2020. And there was one in 2018 also titled Through an Unlocked Door. In Walks Murder, 2018. And then, uh, again, this book, The Enigma of Ted Bundy, The Questions and Controversies, sur Controversies Surrounding America's Most Infamous Serial Killer, published October 2020. Sorry, so I was mistaken. But uh, I'm it's delighted to have him. So Kevin M. Sullivan, welcome to the show. Thank you for uh, taking your time to talk with us. Well, thank you for the invitation. And I look forward to talking with you about all these books, especially about Ted Bundy and... Uh, uh it's 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 going to be a good time it'll be interesting because uh there always seems to be something new surfacing about ted bundy and his crimes yeah and i agree i mean i was reading through this enigma book and there's uh so much information stuff that i didn't know about him being mm -hmm. tailed and some of these police investigations can you talk about mm -hmm. kind of your writing career you have a long career and some of the books and then what led you to and your interest into ted bundy Yes, yeah, sure. Well, I uh, had been in the Christian ministry for many years. I was ordained back in 1984, having gone through school for years, you know, before that, and I spent the better portion of my adult life in the ministry. I still am in it, but it's really a part-time thing. And um, but I started writing 25 years ago, and I, as you mentioned, my first book was Shattering the Myth, uh, Custer. And it, it, it was about Custer, and um, it was an interesting, what, what I found interesting, personality study. And it wasn't a full biography of the man, but it was a personality study. And if you look at the life of Custer, a lot of people, they, if they know some, something about him or if they know a lot about him, they will either love him or hate him. There doesn't seem to be a whole lot of middle ground there. So I delve into the reasons why this is. And so uh, 
so that was published. I didn't know if I was going to become a writer per se, but I have to admit that after that book was uh, published, I got a little bit more of the writer bug in me. And uh, then I started uh, because I've had such an interest in true crime years. I should stop and say years old. I took a book called uh, The World's Worst Murderers by a man named Franklin. United States, both in 1965. My father bought it. I don't know if he had before I did, but I took it off his shelf. The first I ever read, ten years old. I was fascinated by it, and then I went, you know. So as I grew up, I was reading true crime. My father was in World War II. In fact, he had a brother who was killed in the war, and he had an uncle who was killed in the war. So I grew up hearing all these stories, so I got very interested in World War II and other wars, and I would read about that. But then I went into the ministry. But then it, when I was 40, I published this book on Custer. And um, I thought, I'll, after that was published, I thought, I'll start delving into true crime. And so I started doing that, and I would bring out a lot of go to the archives here in Louisville, Kentucky and around the state. And I was writing about cases here in the state and it just kind of rippled from that. But in 2005, I received an invitation from my friend, Jim Massey, who's now passed on. But Jim was a probation and parole officer for uh, many years here in Louisville. And he was good friends with a, a retired detective from Utah named Jerry Thompson. Jerry Thompson plays a big part of the in the Bundy case because it was in Utah, and we can talk about this more. Bundy was unmasked, even though he started his killing in Washington State. He transferred to Utah to go to law school there at one point. Anyway, he asked me if I wanted uh, to have dinner with them. That Thompson and his wife was coming to Louisville, and this was I think this was in March. He uh, he let me know it, and so they were coming to me. I said, "Sure, I think it would be really enjoyable." At the Time, even though I wasn't on staff, I was. I would submit articles to uh, uh, a weekly print newspaper called Snitch that was published here in Louisville and Lexington, Lexington, Kentucky, and about five other states. And um, so I thought, well, you know, I'll interview Jerry and maybe turn it into an article for Snitch. And um, so uh, anyway, I got to meet Jerry. He was really interesting and. But something he did, which neither Jim nor I thought was coming, he's had uh, Ted Bundy's murder kit for for many years. And um, once Bundy had escaped, you know, he was convicted in uh, Utah for the kidnapping of Carol DeRanche. And of course, that's where he lost his murder kit, transferred to Colorado to stand trial for the murder of Karen Campbell, uh, escaped from Colorado twice, which is an awful thing went to Florida, murdered there, and was ultimately put to death there. They did not need the kid anymore, so Jerry took it for teaching tools for, like, cops, you know, seminars and things like that. Well, he brought the bag to Louisville, and I got to see this bag, and uh, it was amazing, and he turned it over to Jim for the three or four days he was in Louisville. I called Jim one night, and I said, would you mind uh, if I – came over and picked it up and brought it to my house. I, I, there's pictures I would like to take of it. He said, sure. So I went right, and got it. There's pictures of it in the book, right? Me. Yeah, you have pictures yeah, of it. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, wow. 
Oh, yeah. In fact, other publishers have um, requested permission to pick to republish. There's two main pictures. There's one you'll see in the Bundy murders. And then I think I have the other one in some of the other, at least one of the other Bundy books. I think it's it may be in Enigma. It's but in Enigma, two different shops for sure. For, for I know it's in Enigma. Enigma, there. Yeah. Great. Well, a lot of other people that publish, they ask me, and you'll see these things show up on documentaries. I, I do a number of documentaries about the Bundy case, but I, 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 there's a lot of people that contact me. They want to republish that those photos. So I say, okay, and you know, I have to sign a contract and all that, but it's all this, you know, legalese. But anyway, uh, so, I, so I, I brought to my house. It was shocking to have this stuff in my house. Anyway, uh, before Jerry left, he gave me and he gave Jim, both of us, one of the glad bags that Jerry would have. Um, I mean, not Jerry, that uh, that Bundy would have where he would put all the victims clothes in it and then dump it down maybe 100 miles down the road. He never left anything on these victims. Some he buried, but those he left on top of the ground out in the hinterlands, as it were. Uh, he would, the only thing he would leave on these girls would be like maybe a beaded necklace, but any purse or clothes or anything. They went into this bag and, you know, and then he dumped it. And I remember one. He said he put it into a Goodwill uh, box, and that was going to be the actually that was the clothes of Julie Cunningham, but which was a Colorado victim. But anyway, he gave me a bag. He gave uh, Jim Massey a bag. I said, Jerry, would you mind writing us a letter of authentication? He did. Really nice guy. He's he's passed on now too, but but he did. And I gotta tell you, I did write that article for Snitch, but I couldn't having that bag that glad bag and having the Bundy murder kit in my home sparked something in me. And I knew I had to write a book about this guy. And, and it's a good thing I did. And I had a number of people, including Jim saying, you know, Bundy's been done to death. You ought to pick somebody else since you're in the mood for writing another book. I said, no, I'm, sometimes you got to go with, with, with what you know. And so I went with what I knew on the inside. And when I was halfway through the book, I was finding out new verifiable and never before published information about some of these murders and a lot of new information in a general sense about the case. And I just, it was astounding. So, I mean, after I got done with the book, this was a, for, for writing the Bundy murders, a comprehensive history. And that's my main book. That's the full biography of Bundy and a full treatment of the murders. But it took two and a half years for me to finish that book. It was seven days a week. It was days and nights. My wife, she gave me all the time I needed. But, you know, it was just, it was tough on her. But, but I got done with it. I finished it. And as I sent out uh, six query letters to publishers uh, within just almost immediately, just within a, a week and a half or so, uh, two weeks at the latest, I got something back from McFarland and they wanted to sign me on it. And so I ended up going with them. And then the day after that, uh, acquisitions editor called me from, from, from another spot, uh, another publishing house. And uh, I said, well, I said I would, but it, I've already sold it to McFarland. But what was interesting, I asked the acquisitions editor um, why he moved so quickly on this book. He said, well, he said, and he must have known something about the Bundy case because he said, you've got all this information in there. This new stuff is in there. You've got it all proper, you know, properly, you know, notated and everything. And he, and he said, and, and I like your writing style and I like the way you did the book. 
And so that's why he moved so quickly on. So I was glad I did it. And from then, I never published any other book about Bundy from 2009 to 2016. But in 2015, uh, there were a couple people that were having some serious medical conditions and they were a part of the Bundy case. And uh, both of them now have since died. And, um, and a number of people I worked with on that case had, had died. But in, 250, in, in, in 2015, I wrote a book called, which came out in 2016, The Trail of Ted Bundy, Digging Up the Untold Stories. And I'll tell you something. People came out of the woodwork to contact me, had been contacting me after the Bundy murders. And I would take their stories and I would you know, interview them and I'd write them down. I just put them in my files and never knowing I was ever going to publish another book. So when I decided to do that, I added those stories and I went out hunting for more. And I, it's just like uh, something opened up and I got a tremendous amount of really, really good testimonies from people that were very close to Ted Bundy. And that was in 2016. Well, since then, and in the years since then, people keep contacting me. And when I can vet these people and find out that they're legitimate people, then they'll go in the book. And that's happened with every Bundy book that I've published. And uh, so here we go to six books, totaling 1,400 pages. That's a lot to write about any one case or any one man. But all each book has new information in it. So I decided, well, that's going to be it for you know me and Bundy. I mean, really, there's got to you got to call a halt at some place. But in and since then, and this will be new information. I'm sure you don't know this, but. Since then, I have decided to publish a yearly update book, not 250 pages or pages or more than 300 pages, not anything like that, but maybe 150, 160 pages with the latest information of the people that have come to me and that, that, have, that I have vetted and they're good, solid contacts. So I've just completed one now and it's, these books are gonna be a series of books of just yearly updates. And it's going to be called Ted Bundy, uh, the, uh, the yearly editions. And the one that I just finished is volume one. And I'm not one that gets surprised about a whole lot of things in life, especially about Bundy, because when these new things come rolling in, they, they kind of astound me. But something happened during the writing of this seventh book. And I can't go into it a great deal. or My publisher will hammer me into the ground for it. But I was just by chance. It wasn't on my radar. But I was able to zero in on Bundy's hunting pattern, exclusively his pattern, the first month he arrived in Utah for September of 1974. Until this happened, and this happened because of one of the testimonies that you'll remember from Enigma about a woman named, I believe her name is Susan Milner, who was on a swing set, and Bundy tried to get her to take a ride with him. Additional testimonies have come in and it has created a pattern of, so I have all these new stories in there and a whole lot of new testimonies of valid people that had encounters with him. And I also go into, and I can't give the number now, but I also go into the probable number of women that he encountered during his years where the abductions failed. And I do it in a conservative manner knowing it could actually go much higher. So we dove into a lot of things and basically 
uh, it's all it's just all new stuff. So it is amazing the stuff that's come out. I never dreamed or wanted it or thought that I would ever write first of all one book about Bundy, and here I have in the intervening years from 2015 when my research started for the second time. From then to now, I'm still researching and publishing books about him. So it's it's been quite a ride, and I I assume that I'll do these yearly updates for as long as the new information keeps coming into me. I mean, you know, keeps keeps coming to me, I should say. One thing that I saw in in your book, in Enigma, and it looks like yes. the other books, is how many people he interacted with. So he was actually very yes. social, and there's stories in Enigma mm -hmm. about him and his girlfriend. So uh, mm -hmm. it was really fascinating to see that this guy had a uh, side that was super dark, one of the darkest serial killers. But also... Oh. Just people are like, I mean, one of these things, like, I didn't know where he's doing. I don't know why his, his seat was torn. You know, like, uh, can you talk mm -hmm. about some of the interactions, uh, relations that he had with people who didn't know he was a serial killer? Yes. Uh, well, first of all, for The Bundy Murders, my first book, I was able to interview, I think it's five different people who knew Bundy really well, who worked closely with him on these political campaigns that they would, would would wage together out in Washington State. And the one fellow said to me, he said, you know, none of us believed it was Bundy when the suspicions were first there. And in fact, even when he was arrested in Utah, they just thought it was some kind of odd quirk. But I remember one fellow, Ross Davis, told me, who was Bundy's boss in one of these uh, places where he worked for, for the Republican Party, he said, we, we, we came to the realization of who he was at different times, those that knew Ted. And the, the, then this other fellow said to me, he said, when I asked him about that, he said, yeah, I said, it, it came to us at different times. We weren't sure. And then finally, you know, the light would go on and we, we'd see it and there was no going home again about it. And I remember he said, I like Bundy. You know, he, he liked Bundy. There were few who didn't. And he said, when I came to the realization that Bundy was the killer of the women in the Northwest and, you know, even now beyond, um, he said, I had to reevaluate everything that I believed about my friends. In other words, if, if I could have been so wrong about this with Bundy and, you know, I, Who's to say who might be doing something horrible? So this was the reaction of people in Washington state. And it's amazing because they couldn't bring themselves to believe that the person that they knew, highly educated, women liked him. Uh, everybody seemed, oh, very few didn't like him. So then when he got arrested in Utah, a lot of people opened their wallets to him for his defense and um the people in utah were the same way i interviewed you'll see in the trail of, of ted bundy i i interviewed several of his close friends and one guy is named larry alexander you'll read about him in the book larry told me when he decided to tell me his story of ted and he dealt a lot with him he said i was approached by a um, National Magazine, I don't, he didn't tell me which one, but he said they offered me a lot of money about three days after Bundy was uh, electrocuted. They just wanted me to tell the story. He said I wouldn't do it. 
So here I'm contacting Larry 20 years later after Bundy's execution. And um, he told me everything and, and he didn't charge me a dime. I couldn't pay for it anyway. But I mean, it's not something that I do. I don't pay for interviews. But but really interesting stuff. And I remember he said to me, how could I have missed this? And I said, Larry, it's not just you missing it. And it's not just your friends that knew Bundy that missed it. But it's everybody in Washington State missed it. So I say in the uh, preface of uh, the Bundy murders, I said it's a place there's like a disconnect in people's minds. They cannot look at Bundy, the outer person, and then all of a sudden switch to the diabolical person who would murder innocent women, sometimes cut off their heads, and always have sex with them after they're dead because he was a necrophile. So they, it, it kind of, it, it almost hits a disconnect. It's almost like something can't compute, can't compute, and it kind of goes haywire. That's what has created the in, the interest in Bundy because he doesn't look like some of these other people who are who are known serial killers. You know, they some of these people who murder people out there. If you walking down the street, you know, you, you see him, you get a good look. You might cross to the other side. You, you wouldn't do that with Ted Bundy. He's looked right. as normal as anyone else, and and that's what makes the serial killer so dangerous. It's the it's the facade on the outside. Right, and women liked him. They thought he was kind of good looking and charming. So that was like another scary oh, element yes, to what's... him, is that? And yeah, he, I, mean, I mean, you. And, yeah. you know, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, can you talk about that, please? Mm, absolutely. Well, Bundy never had, when Bundy was a teenager, he had very few days. He had such a poor self image of him. And he just, we had two good friends, Terry uh, Stork and Warren Dodge, but I, but Bundy just didn't date much in high school. And the women that went to his high school said, um, "Well, I guess he has a girlfriend at another high high school somewhere in the area because he's not dating anybody here." And uh, they just couldn't believe it. After you know, you know, Bundy got a little bit older. He started, you know, seeing women. He had a relationship with uh, uh, Diane Edwards. I identify her as uh, Carla Browning in my book because for legal issues, I didn't want to say too much and have something come back on me. So I, used, I only used three pseudonyms um, in, in, in my book, and she was one of them. But, but, but her name is Diane Edwards. He dated her for a while. She dumped him. Later, Bundy won her back, but only to dump her so he could get even. But... He never had any problem at all getting dates. And I remember when I was speaking with Ross Davison, this is during the writing of my first book. I said, I said, well, you know, uh, Ross, you know, he, he, he was dating from 1969. His girlfriend, her name was, was Liz Clover, but her pen name is Liz Kendall. And, and uh, that's how I refer to her in the book. I said, and he said, well, you know, Ross said, I, I knew all about Diane Edwards. I, I met her. She, 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 good looking woman, really nice young lady. He said, but Bundy never mentioned Liz to me. Isn't that amazing? So I say in the book, I said, he kept his women sequestered from one another. And he, he was very careful as to who he was going to tell, who he was dating or anything like that. But to not even have told Ross Davis about Liz, that was 
amazing. But I guess he didn't want to cross wires there, and he was anticipating things in the future. And Al Carlisle said an interesting thing um, to me, and he also said this in his report um, about Bundy. Uh, he said, and who thinks like this? But he said that Bundy would, if he knew he was going to like talk to you or somebody else, he would kind of rehearse privately in advance what he would say based on the questions that he would anticipate you asking maybe. And, and Carlisle said he would, in his own mind, he would think of two or three things he could say to answer a particular question, let's say if it was a difficult one. So Bundy was a really strange, not just a diabolical murderer, but the way he thought about things was very, very different. And yeah. uh, he had a pretty high IQ. I can't remember the exact number, but it was pretty high. Well, he got uh, so, into law school, right? So he was at University of Utah yeah. studying law, which is not an easy task. Yeah. No, yo, no. He got it. In fact, he went for a year. He, I think he went for almost nine months in uh, in uh, Tacoma um, at the University of Puget Sound. It used to be the... College, but it became a university, and and they had a law school. But the law school was in its infancy, and I don't think Bundy liked the fact that it was new and meeting in an older building. And in any event, he came to the conclusion that he needed a new killing ground, and so he he didn't take his finals that year. And he, so so when he went to Utah, when he applied there, he was actually accepted for the nineteen. 73, 74 year, but he didn't go. But he waited until the next year in 74. And they said, is this going to be your first year of law school? Are you transferring? Transfer? He said, no, this is my first year. So he didn't even tell them about University of Puget Sound. But he was smart. He could pass classes. Even he was really there. And uh, I remember Andrew Valdez, who I interviewed, had a lot of information about Bundy. He used to take notes for Bundy. And uh, but and that's in one of the books. I think that's in. I think that's in. Uh, I don't know if it's the Bundy Secrets or one of them. But if 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 you look at the books and you look at where the, all the testimonies are, there's some amazing testimonies that come out. For in, it, it, for example, in the in the Bundy Secrets, there was a woman named Louise Cannon, who worked. Her family owned a bank, and she worked as a teller in the bank. Ted Bundy would see her and he wanted to get to know her, not to murder her, but to date her. And so Bundy had his women he wanted to date. And then Bundy had his women he wanted to slaughter. And he, he at the end, he told detectives, I never hurt anyone that I know. So he didn't want to murder. The best way to stay alive with Bundy, if you're female, is get to know him and become friends with him. Right. But he, because he wouldn't do that. But, but Louise told the most amazing story. She said, and I got her name from the blonde lady, if you've seen that picture in my book, where she's pretending like she's washing dishes with Ted and he's helping her. That, yeah, I've seen that picture. Yeah. I, I got, yeah, yes, and I, 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 I her, yeah, so she gave me this lady's name. They've known each other for years. And, uh, you know, outside of the detectives interviewing this Louise Cannon, I said, has any other writer or reporter talked? She said, no. She said, I like to keep a low profile. No, they have. She said, you're the first one. So 
maybe she did it because the other lady, you know, she contacted her and said, this guy is going to call you. He's a nice guy, so on and so forth. And I appreciate that if she did that. But she, she allowed me to interview her. And she said that she ran into Bundy. And Bundy was always real jovial with her. And they even went one night after she got off of work and walked down the alley and went to a coffee shop and had coffee together. And Bundy would sometimes clean the snow off of her car and he was being real nice. So he, it was clear he wanted to date her and not harm her. But she said she ran into Bundy. She came into a bar on October 18th, 1974. And she was meeting a couple of uh, her girlfriends there. And in fact, their girlfriends were at the back table. She saw them and waved and whatever. But she saw Ted at the bar. And she said, he said, she said, hi, Ted. He said, hi, Louise. And, but she said he was not his normal self. He was subdued and he was sitting there drinking. Well, October, and this was like at uh, 8.30 at night. And she, so they just talked for a second. She went back to the uh, t table with her friends. She said, the next time I looked over, he wasn't there. Well, here's what happened on October 18th, 1974 at about 10.30 p.m or a little after 10, he kidnapped Melissa Smith, abducted her, and, you know, kept her from thrown the head, you know, lots of cranial damage, maybe in a coma, kept her for a number of days and she died. But here, here's what he was doing. The reason why Bundy wasn't jovial, wasn't her his usual self, is because very often he would kickstart those those things he had within him, those those desires to harm women, he would kickstart them through the use of alcohol. So when he was sitting at the bar drinking, he already knew that he was going to be hunting that night. And so and he you know, said he, that he, he always the, was drunk. Oh, sorry to interrupt, but he was always drunk when he was hunting, right? So he would get not necessarily up. drunk, but he would kickstart it. And uh, okay, gotcha. I think I use the word in my book as like an elixir. He not necessarily drunk. Now, now he said himself. On the night that he got Donna Manson out of uh, on their way to a jazz concert at Central Washington State College, which I cover in the Bundy murders, and again in the trail of Ted Bundy with some additional in, 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 info there, he said he couldn't remember a lot about it because although she wasn't probably uh, you know blitzed completely when he abducted her, I don't think at all. I, I think he, he might have followed the abduction if he was. He kept drinking after having her, and he said, I was so drunk that night, I can't remember a lot about it. So I think he drank enough alcohol to get himself into an altered state through the alcohol so that the other altered state could more easily come to the surface and, and that those dark desires that he had um, – would then you know take over, but I don't think he would. He certainly wasn't drunk when um, when Louise saw him. But uh, and this is the this is you almost say it, it, it's almost funny because of this woman. There was a t before before Bundy was even arrested. When Bundy would come into the bank to see Louise and get in her line, to tell her next he might get tired and go in his line. She would put clothes. She put the little sign up clothes, and she would go somewhere. Louise said, like, well, how come you do that? She said, look, I don't know what it is about that, but have you seen his eyes? Look at his eyes. He said, that guy's a killer. Wow. And she said this to Louise. Of course, Louise thought she was crazy. But, you know, but boy, what she must have said to Louise after, you know, Bundy surfaced as a killer. So 
once that once he was arrested and he let her know he had been arrested for something and she said haven't you been watching the news louise uh because the bank her her family owned several banks they switched her to a another bank so he couldn't come and see her anymore and then you know, so, but yeah, so that was a woman, that's a perfect example of somebody he wanted to know, simply to have date and to have normal sex with and just be uh, a normal person. It was not a person that he wanted to murder. So we had right. women just, in both yeah. worlds. And know? I think that was the interview you did with, or the interview that you put in with Liz Knopper is like, he's just kind of a normal guy with her. She's, she thinks he does yeah. weird things, but their sex life's normal, that stuff. And then some of these people who had meetings with him are sending you their information. They thought he talked to them or may have tried and wanted to abduct them or oh, something. Yeah. That's an interesting thing. That's chapter two. So there's a lot yeah. of people that he didn't kill. Right. Or tried in to. fact, in fact, two things before I move on, then I'll tell you an interesting story about someone he didn't kill. Uh, Liz Clover said she did get a little bothered because she noticed that in 1974, his desire for her sexually had all but diminished. Right? They may have had some sex, whatever, but it, it wasn't the same. Now for Liz, that didn't translate into he's out murdering women, you know, harming women. It translated into, well, maybe he has a girlfriend and that bothered her. But uh, so, but it made sense afterwards and she knows now why that was. Now, this is something that Bundy admitted. On June 11th, he had, he kidnapped in the university district which I go into in great detail in uh, The Bundy Murders, jo uh, George Ann Hawkins. It was after midnight, I think around 1230. Led her to a parking lot uh, about a block away, which I've been to this the parking lot still there, but at the time it was gravel, very, basically no lighting, and about a block down from where they met in the alleyway behind Greek Row. Well, today it's paved. It has a basketball thing there, and they've never built anything there, so it's paved. But anyway... He said, you know, and, and of course, that abduction, as most of his abductions, went flawlessly. But he said a week before then, a week before then, he had done the exact same with a woman. And they talked on the way to the parking lot. And he said, She's, where do you live? He said, I live in the university district. And so here's a woman that is talking to him, knows, knows the sound of the voice. That's what he looks like. He said, I live in the university district. She saw his car and he said, for some reason, when she got to the car, I just didn't want to kill her. And he said, I said, okay, well, thank you. You know, because he had his, he was doing his routine of on crutches and stuff. And what Bundy would do, is, and this worked flawlessly for him. It just, and this is the kind of stuff he thought about all the time. Bob Kemble once said, he, Bundy thought of murder 24-7. That's all the man thought about. But what happened was is that he would place a crowbar either behind the uh, uh, right rear tire. And when I say right, I mean the passenger side. Or I've heard one thing where he said he put it up under the wheel, uh, not the wheel well, but, but like the bumper area. And he also would lay some handcuffs there. And so when the, when, when the women were helping what they thought was an honestly disabled man, and they'd open the car door and they'd bend in. He would whack them with that uh, thing. And on the, on the night he did it to Hawkins, he hit her so hard, both her earrings came off and she flew out of one shoe. And so then, um, you know, in the car she went and, and that was it. But after he did the Hawkins murder, he said, wait a minute. He said, my God, he remembered the woman. 
He said, she's seen me. She's seen my car. And I said, I live in the university district. I took her to the exactly where the, you know, but, and, it, and how easily would it have been for her to call the police and, or come in and say, listen, I don't know if this will help you, but there's this bushy headed guy and he drives a, a beige colored Volkswagen. And he said he lives in the university district and he was hobbling on crutches and, uh, you know, it, cop uh, an astute detective would say oh hold the phone yeah this is uh, you, you know i need more information on this because this could, this could be the same guy because lots of people saw him that night on crutches what they didn't see is where he led uh georgia and hawkins to which is uh, as i say about a block away and into that uh deserted parking lot but yeah it bothered bundy after he kind of thought that one through Kevin, we're at the 35-minute mark. Do you mind taking a few questions? Sure. Uh, there's one from We Steal, Plato Snakes. He asks, William, can you ask him about Bundy sharing an address with Air Force military intelligence agent John Muller? You heard of that? You know, I don't know uh, uh, very much about that. The only thing that I can tell you, I don't know the circumstances of that. I do know that he did share information with the college security concerning a, and I guess this was in 68, concerning some of the uh, activities of like the weathermen on campus. He did do that, but I'm not sure about, I, I've heard something about that. I, to be honest, I don't know if it's valid or not. I just, I just can't speak to it. Sorry. Okay, no problem. And did you ever hear that he met somebody by the name of uh, Gerard Schaefer, another serial killer? Well, yeah, yeah. But let me tell you something about Mr. Schaefer. Mr. Schaefer was a blowhard and a braggart. And Schaefer said that Bundy, like, looked up to him and, you know, copied him. Well, none of that's true. Bundy was a lone killer. And in fact, if you if you have the chance to see the new movie out, No Man of God, about Bill Hagmeyer and his dealings with Bundy for, from 1986 until he was put to death in 1983, Nine, and I interviewed Bill twice for my book, The Bundy Murders. But he, Bundy told him a lot of stuff. And one of the things that came out in the movie, and I never thought to ask Bill this, and he didn't tell me, but Bundy would not only keep up with his murders, okay, but he said he was concerned about copycat people who might wow. be copying him. And Gerard Schaefer wanted to almost make Bundy into some kind of stooge or something that had to like you know almost learn from him bundy wasn't like that i'm sure i, I can't prove it i haven't spoken to bundy okay that's the one person i did not interview bundy because he was dead but you know long before I, I i wrote this book but I, i'm sure uh bundy looked at him and uh you know kind of had figured him out for who he was and uh so there is some stuff where schaefer says that it's intriguing to read but i wouldn't put a lot of stock in it Faith in it. Have you ever heard of a story of Bundy, like around he was fourteen, about another young girl or something like that? Emory Burr. Yeah, yeah, he always denied it, except when he was with um, Ron Holmes, who has also passed away now. I live in Louisville, Kentucky. Ron and I knew Ron, uh, and I interviewed him for my book. Uh, but when when uh, Ron Holmes was playing such a large part in Bundy's life. Uh, in that in in like 1987, a couple of years before his death, Bob Keppel on the phone 
told me one day. He said he, that he believes, Kevin believes that that Holmes was going to be um, uh, Bundy's golden boy. He wanted to do all his, his confessions to Holmes, and then when they had a falling out, that didn't occur. But uh, yes, during the thing with Holmes, Bundy definitely linked himself with that murder in the third person and he said something along these lines yeah the, the first this person the first victim was a like a, a, a little girl and he said they were look the police were looking at somebody who was also involved with the murders at Lake Sammamish well that's him so he did those he, two murders at Lake Sammamish right or yeah that was an amazing thing that he was able to get away with that and of course he kept one girl he kept he got Janice out in the morning kept her alive. Uh, either bound uh, to a tree and gagged up in the hills of Issaquah or in a cabin that we just don't know about. We don't know. It's it's one of two choices because he liked to reenact the scenes from the covers of detective magazines. I know there is a particular cover where a couple women are chained to a tree, but he left her alive, sexually abused her. And this is, we know we left her alive because and, you know, I don't know how much time we got, but I did want to say that it's Please all continue. kind of mixed in with this. I don't think he ever physically tortured anybody, but he did psychologically torture some of these women. And sometimes he didn't want to psychologically torture them. He wanted them out and then he could do what he wants. But sometimes he did. And on Lake, at Lake Sammamish, he did because he left Janice Odd alive. And then when he got Denise Naslin about 430, he brought Naslin to see Odd. They both saw them. They both knew they were in desperate trouble. And then, of course, he killed one in front of the other to make the terror even greater in the other one, knowing that he's not going to let her live. So, yeah, but that was an astounding thing. And it was I, I call it a homicidal boast in my book. So it was amazing. Sorry, I was I had to go get the door. Uh, what's Let's see another no question. Let's see. Somebody asked. You say that he only acted alone. There's no evidence that he worked in tandem with anybody, right? No, absolutely none. Absolutely none. Have you ever heard of anything that he's past affiliates and tied to the Camelot program? Have you heard of that? The, uh, the Camelot program? Like that? No. Yeah. No, no. nothing like that. The thing about Bundy, he, he was an extreme loner in ways that most people don't realize. After he grew up and started down this road, he would have Liz... He would date women for to use them for money or sex, but he didn't have a lot of male friends and he didn't have he was turning into a solitary predator. And Bundy just didn't have the psychological makeup to work with anybody or to be a part of anything other than where he was going and where he finally knew he was going, which was a, a case of full time murder. So he was completely solitary in all these matters. Gotcha. And Kevin, where's the, where, how would you like to end this? Is there anything I'd missed? Anything you'd like to add before we wrap up the interview? No, I guess not. If anybody wants to, the complete story of Ted Bundy, they can read my book, The Bundy Murders, A Comprehensive History. If they are interested enough with the new testimony that has surfaced over the year that's valid and other things about the case, uh, you can read some of my other books. And there's other good, you know, Bundy books out there, too. So uh, people can also reach me. At, uh, you can check Amazon, my author page and also I write pretty exclusively now for wild blue press you can go to wildbluepress.com you can find me on there among their authors and then they archive all my uh crime stories and things like that that i've published on their website so that's that's awesome. probably the best way to do it 
And that that through Wild Blue, Blue Press is the best place to contact you as well. Yeah, wildbluepress.com. Gotcha. And, I'll, and again, the, I'll answer any question th through there. Awesome. And again, the author's name is Kevin M. Sullivan, and his newest book is The Enigma of Ted Bundy: The Questions and Controversies Surrounding America's Most Infamous Serial Killer. Thank you so much, Kevin. Thank you. Thank you, William. We'll see you next time. Yeah. Bye-bye. Right, Sorry about this.